Good morning to you all. Good morning to you here, the few of us here. And good morning to you viewing, viewing us live stream. Jesse, Pastor Jesse, thank you so much. Worship team, thank you. Well, we live in interesting times, don't we? We live in difficult times as well. These are very difficult times for many of us. And as Christians, we have something to say, don't we? We have something to say. We have a story to talk about. The story of the gospel is always relevant. There is no period or era of time in which the Bible does not speak to. The Bible is a book that is constantly, perpetually relevant. And it is specifically relevant right now. This difficulty is leading to a lot of distress and anxiety. And I want to comfort you this morning. I want to encourage you. And the way I want to encourage you is by sharing from Scripture what it is that God wants you to do right now. The Bible is a vast book. The Bible touches upon a number of topics. And one of the topics it talks about is how to live a godly life in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of darkness. And that's the message that I want to share with you this morning. How do I respond to this pandemic? What should we do? What does God want me to do? What is God's will for my life during this difficulty? That's the topic, that's the question we're going to tackle. Let's go ahead and turn to Philippians 2.15. That will be our passage this morning. Philippians 2.15. We will go through the end of verse 16. What does God want me to do? What is God's will for my life? Dear friend, if you're a Christian, if you're a non-Christian, it doesn't matter. God's will for you is the same. God's will for you is found in the Bible. Particularly this morning, God's will for your life in this pandemic is found in this passage in Philippians 2.15. We're going to start at the end of verse 15. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Three points for you from this passage. Three ways that God wants you to respond to this pandemic. The first way is we are to shine. Shine, a very simple short word. Shine. We are to shine in this world. Now I get this point. At CBC what we like to do is we like to take our points of the sermon from the passage of Scripture. The Bible is very important to us. We think that that is where truth is found. So I get that point from this passage. You notice at the end of verse 15, Paul mentions this. He says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
Now, you will notice as we read this short phrase, it begins with this word among. Now, we have to understand that word to understand what Paul is saying. And this, the end of verse 15, piggybacks on the rest of verse 15. Paul just got done talking about, at the beginning of verse 15, this crooked and twisted generation. And Paul is saying, in this society of evil that we live in, in this crooked and twisted society, what Christians are to do is very simple. Christians are to shine. You go back to the early nursery rhyme you learned as a child. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it. They said shine, by the way, if you can't hear them. They said shine. This is an important metaphor that Scripture uses repeatedly throughout the Bible that the people of God are to shine as lights in the world. And that's what Paul says here. Now, Paul is not speaking literally. Okay, it's important that we don't understand this as, well, Paul wants us to go out at night and shine a flashlight. That's not what Paul is saying. This is a metaphor. Paul is using this as a metaphor. And this metaphor occurs, as I said, routinely in Scripture. And it's a very helpful metaphor. We understand from a very young age that the darkness is scary. The darkness is bad. From a very young age, I remember having feelings of being scared of the dark, being afraid of the dark. And what I would do as a child, whenever I would get scared, I would hide under my bed sheets at night in my bed. And I used to think that in there, I was safe and protected. And I was scared of the dark. And we naturally associate that which is evil, that which is wrong, that which is bad, with darkness. And the scripture uses that illustration and that metaphor as well. And actually, the scriptures place the notion of light, this notion of light in the very character of God himself. Listen to 1 John 1.5. Don't turn with me there, I'm just going to read this. Listen to 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What this, what this passage does in 1 John, what John does is he complements what Paul is saying in Philippians 2.15. And the way he complements Paul is that he locates light, this essence. The Bible says that God dwells in unapproachable light. That's why we can't see God. His light is so intense that it would harm us. And John locates light in God himself. And what Paul is teaching is that as followers and lovers of God, 
that we model God here in this world, and that our character as Christians is not one of darkness, but is one of light. And we are living in very dark times. I mentioned last week that there is this pervasive moral darkness in the world, a pervasive moral darkness. I was reading more news stories this week, and I was reading up on these essential and non-essential businesses. And in some places, I think I referenced this last week, in some places, actually I think in all places, liquor stores have been deemed essential, as well as some marijuana dispensaries, and even abortion clinics. Now, dear friend, the word that we give to that is darkness. That is darkness, and now even in some states, it's illegal to go to church. Dear friends, that's darkness. And also there's so much darkness that we cannot see. That's in the news. So much darkness is being done behind closed doors. So much scheming, greed, lust, bickering, fighting, abuse. All of that is happening all around us. And that's darkness. But that's the society we live in. Now that society has been the same since the beginning of time. And that will never change. There will always be that type of darkness. But right now we're feeling an increased sense of darkness. I don't know if people are living more immorally now than they have. I don't know about that. But I know that there is an increased sense of loneliness and despair and suffering. And in that sense, I think the darkness is thicker. The darkness is more pronounced. And this week, I heard of a story in, uh, coming out of Huron, a very sad story. A lady by the name of Mary Hofer. Mary Hofer was a godly woman. She was 51, and she was a schoolteacher at a Christian school. And last Saturday, I think it was, she died due to this virus, complications from this virus. And I think yesterday, or last week, I, I don't know the specifics. Sometime this week, her uncle, who was a state representative, his name is Bob Glanzer. Bob Glanzer also died, him also being a very godly man. So within one family, within the span of a week, you have them losing two loved ones because of what's going on. Dear friends, this is difficult. The term that we might apply to this is darkness. We're living in darkness. And I imagine that as we go through this summer and in the fall, here in Pier, that darkness will encroach. And I do believe that it will get darker before it gets more lit. So how do we respond to this? 
What does God want me to do, pastor? Well, I think first and foremost, we have to live godly lives, dealing with the moral darkness. How you live matters. What you do with your thoughts and your words and your actions matters to God. And what the Lord calls you to do is like what, he, well, like what 1 John 5 through 7 said. We are to walk in the light. And what that means is that we are to live godly, holy, and upright lives. We are to not love the things of darkness. We are to not love sin. We are to repent. And we are to model how Jesus himself lived. Purity. Righteousness, holiness, self-sacrifice, humility. That is how, well, that is one way that we shine as lights in this world. But another way that might be more pressing now is that we have to embody hope. We have to embody hope. The central confession that we have as Christians is that God sent his son to live and die for you. And the Bible says that because of the power of God, the father raised his son from the dead. And that resurrection changes everything, absolutely everything. And the dear friend, as the darkness creeps in, which I believe that it will, We have to have hope. That hope, that message of good news, we have to hold on to tightly. And we must hope, we must live as those who have hope. We do not despair. We might suffer, yes. But dear friends, Jesus is not in the tomb. And one day, he will make all things right. And we know that because he rose from the dead. You have to have hope. You have to hope You have to have it as a noun and you have to do it as a verb. As you struggle, dear Christian, and even non-Christian, if you have thoughts of an increasing anxiety, despair, and dread, you have to put your hope in Jesus. Not in washing your hands. Not in wearing a face mask. You should do those things. But more so, placing your hope in Jesus because we have hope. Second point, I lost my spot here. I'm getting a little carried away. Second point. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life holding fast to the word of life. The second point is this, right? Hold, hold. So we got shine, 
and we have hold. It's clear where I'm getting that from. It's right here. Now this verb to hold fast, there's two ways to understand it. There's two ways to understand it. One way is to understand it as the VSE, excuse me, ESV describes it. Holding fast means to grab something and hold it tightly, hold it close to you. Whenever I was a kid, I would go to the theme parks in Orlando, Florida. And there was one ride where it would shoot you straight up and as you're in the air, it would drop you down. And there was a little point there in between the slamming you, bringing you up and slamming you down that your, that your bottom, that your seat, there would be a space in between the physical seat and your own seat. There would be a space. And you felt that you were going up. And as I was at this point, what I would do is I would hold on as tightly as I could. That's one way, holding, holding fast, holding tightly, holding close. And now another way is to not, another way to understand this verb is to not hold it close, but to hold it tightly outside of oneself, like this. So one way to understand this is to hold it tightly, hold it close, and another way is to hold it tightly, but to hold it apart from you. So those are the two ways to interpret this verb. But in order to understand that verb, we have to understand the object. What is this notion of the word of life? What does this mean? Well, the word of life, what we know from this, from the grammar here, is this word gives life. This is a life-giving word. And another way we might be able to understand this notion of word is message. Paul's not literally speaking of a, a, a single word. He's speaking of a concept, a larger concept. And this concept is the, a message, a message that gives forth life, a message that produces life in those who hold it. Theologically, this is referencing the gospel. The gospel, Paul is using just different nomenclature here to refer to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the object. That's what we're supposed to hold during this time. And going back to the difference of, of interpretation, I take it that what Paul is saying we can take it in both ways. We can take it as a holding tightly, and we can take it as a holding forth. I think that we can interpret it in both ways. Dealing with the first point, holding fast, holding this tightly. I don't know about you, but what I have felt through this time of pandemic, what I have felt in my heart is an increasing sense of insecurity, an increasing sense of insecurity. What this pandemic has done for me and, and for you is it has increasingly taken away the things that I find comfort and security in. The most pressing thing is health. You think about your own health, you think, wow, what if I get this? Will I die? We've all had that thought. I've had that thought. 
that encroaches upon this security that I have that I think I'm going to live till I'm 70 or 80. And what about my family? What about my loved ones? I think that they're going to live many more years. I don't believe that death is imminent for any of my family members. And yet, this virus is encroaching. It's shaking my sense of security. What about my job? What about my job as pastor here? What if this pandemic goes on and it leads to increasing financial disaster for the world? And therefore, this church can't support a pastor. I've had those thoughts. They creep in, don't they? Now, the good part about this, it's not good to suffer. It's not good. That's, that's, that's something, suffering is something that we should avoid in this life. Financial disaster and ruin is not good. But what the Lord does is he uses the darkness to bring about his light. And what he is doing in this situation, dear friend, for you and for me, is that God is stripping us of our sense of earthly security. He is removing from us those things in this earth that we so often find identity, comfort, and safety in, specifically our own health. our family's health, our financial status, our jobs. Nothing is immune from what is going on. It can all be taken from us. Now, when we are living in times of prosperity, we often have this view of security. But dear friends, that's a false security. Nothing in this world is secure. Nothing. No money, no health, no relationship, no family member. There is nothing secure here. And I want you to feel that in your heart, in your bones. Feel that in the deepest part of who you are. And in that context, Jesus steps in. And what Jesus says is that I am the resurrection and the life. He who trusts in me will never die. Jesus came here, but he is no longer here. In all of life, God wants to use the difficulties to point you to Him, to Jesus. Because, dear friend, it is only in Him that you have security and safety. Only. Listen to this statement. This comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. This is an ancient confession. This was written after the Black Plague. You think about the Black Plague. The Black Plague was much worse than what we're going through. Killed hundreds of millions 
and the population was not near as big as it is today. This is written, I believe, in the 17th century, maybe about 100 years after the Black Plague. And what they wrote is so relevant for us. Listen to this. I've read this before. It's worth repeating. The Heidelberg Catechism asks this question. What is your only hope in life and in death? What's your only hope? This is the answer that we have as Christians. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not even a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Dear friend, what is your only hope in life and death? I pray that your hope is not yourself. I pray that your hope are not your finances. I pray that your hope is not your career or pleasure or your spouse or your kids or hand washing. All of those things can be taken away from you. Those are false sources of security. What we have to do is we have to cling to Christ alone. Hold him tightly. Hold his truth tightly. We must hold fast to the word of life, Jesus Christ, the gospel. And secondly, we must hold him forth. We hold him tightly. We hold him tightly to our chests. He is our only comfort in life and death. And also we hold him forth so that others can have that same sense of identity and security in Christ. We evangelize. We have to tell others. We have to. We have to tell others of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to hold forth the word that gives life, the message of eternal life. And this is how I want us to do this as a church body. As a church body. So last night, yesterday, there was this day of fasting and prayer. I had posted something on our Facebook page. I had sent something out via email about it. And what this was, was a, a international gathering of Christians who would fast and pray on the same day. And there was a, a, a video last night kind of summarizing the day, a time of prayer and worship. And during this, this video, during this time of, of prayer and worship, there was a very helpful suggestion about how to evangelize this week. As we lead up to Easter, how do we evangelize? We, we have to evangelize. This is, this is one of the most important weeks of our church calendar. 
And so we have to get the good news out there. So how do we do this in this time? And they made this suggestion. There was a gentleman who got on and he made this suggestion. He encourages us, and this is what I want you to do, all of you, all of you in this church, this is what I want you to do. I want you to tape yourself giving a brief testimony of the grace of God in your life this week, whether that's on a computer, whether that's on your iPhone, whatever. I want you to tape very briefly, and I want you to invite others to find their only comfort in life and death. Now, this is not a sermon. This is very short. And I want you to also invite people to listen to the Easter message at our church. Very brief. I will send an email out later on in the week about this. And I want us all to do this. I want us to flood social media so that this hope goes out in this, in this age. That's going to be my exhortation to you all, what I, all, what I want this church to do, all of us, all of us. And then we post this video on our social media. And also to be praying. One way we hold forth the word of life is through prayer. Dear friend, I hope that you would be on your knees asking the Lord for revival. You know what came after the Black Death? The Protestant Reformation. Protestant Reformation. Dear friend, we do not know what God is doing in this world. We do not know. But we have to hold on to this word of life and hold it forth. Shine by sharing the gospel and praying that the Lord would send revival in this world. Two points so far. I don't even remember the first one. Shine, 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 hold. Third, endure, endure. Going back to Philippians. Holding fast to the word of life, we just covered that. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We gotta keep going. We gotta keep pressing. What Paul is saying here is he's making a comment about his own self, his own, psycholo his own psychology. And what Paul is saying is that he wants the Philippians to keep pressing, to keep going, to keep holding fast to the word of life so that when Jesus returns, Paul can be filled with gladness. So that Paul can be glad that they endured. That's what Paul is saying here. And the passage mentions this day of Christ. This is a reference to Jesus' second coming. In the Old Testament, you have this reference to, quote, the day of the Lord. And in the New Testament, you have the day of Christ, the day of Jesus, there are different variations that the New Testament uses to describe this same day. But this same day is referring to when Jesus comes back, his second coming. Now that is not yet, and dear friend, I don't think that we're, I don't think that we're going through the events of, of the book of Revelation. I do not believe that we are in the very last days. We could be, I, I, I'm certainly open to that but I don't believe that we are. 
I think this is future. And in the meantime, as we wait, as we wait on the Lord, as the song reference, as we wait, what Christians are to do, what you are to do, is that we are to endure. We are to keep going. We are to keep shining. We are to keep holding tightly, holding fast, and holding forth. Keep going. And in my own life, where the Lord has been applying this message is in preaching. In preaching. You can't see on the screen, if you're viewing us live stream, you can't see. But there are very few people here. Very few people. And so I'm largely preaching to an audience that I can't see. And I have to look at this camera. And I don't like that. I don't like preaching to a little black screen, circle. I don't like doing that. I like preaching to people. You right here. But what the Lord has told me, rather what the Lord is laying on my heart, he's been impressing upon my heart this passage. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Now this reference to in season and out of season, it's referring to endurance that regardless of what's going on, regardless of whether the message of the gospel is popular or not, the pastor, the preacher, is called to keep going, to keep preaching. And I'm thankful for this medium of live stream. I am, I am thankful that you can hear me. And so long as I have breath and so long as as the Lord is continuing his work in me, I will continue to preach. That's what the Lord tells me to do. Now in your life, I imagine that endurance looks differently. Endurance might look very differently. Maybe endurance for you is dealing with boredom. It can be kind of bored sitting at home, boring sitting at home all day. Maybe it's boredom. Maybe it's being locked in your house. Maybe it's monotony. Or maybe it's something more significant. Maybe you have a parent who is living in some assisted living and you can't see them. Maybe it's enduring through that. Maybe it's enduring through worrying. Maybe it's enduring through anxiety and dread. I don't know. I don't know that the, the circumstances and, situation and situations are vast. But what the Lord is calling us to is perseverance. Whether you're up preaching, like me and Pastor Jesse, whether you're at home locked, with, locked in the house with the kids, whether you're at home working, whatever, it doesn't matter. Whether you're worried about your family, the Lord tells us to keep going, to keep going. And to capture this, I'd like to share, and I'm gonna close here, I'd like to share with you some powerful lyrics that I think captures well this notion of endurance. The song is by Mercy Me. The title is Even If. Have you heard this song? 
This is a very good song. Listen to these lyrics. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing, a little faith is all I have right now. A little faith is all I have right now. But God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be able to sing. It is well with my soul. I know you are able, and I know you can. Save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. I know the sorrow and I know the hurt would all go away if you just say the word. This is endurance right here. But even if you don't, my hope is in you. Excuse me, my hope is you alone. That's endurance. That regardless of what happens here in this life, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep repenting. We're going to keep sharing. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep hoping. We're going to pray for healing. We're going to pray for protection. We're going to pray for revival. We're going to pray for God to move. But dear friend, based upon the resurrection, based upon the empty tomb, we know that our hope is not here. And that even if God says no, we will endure. Yes, Father. You are the eternal God who dwells in inapproachable light. And Father, you have made yourself known through your Son. Your Son has come to show forth the Father's light. And we see that you are inexpressibly good and faithful, Father, and that your purposes are beyond our understanding. Father, we see that in your word. We know that in our hearts. We know that Jesus is risen from the dead. But Father, we are here and we struggle. And Father, as the darkness encroaches in, we pray that the Spirit would put the light of God in our hearts and that we would shine we would shine in this morally depraved society in this society that for us is growing increasingly dark Father we pray that our only hope in life and death would be our faithful Savior Jesus Christ who has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and Father, we pray that this week we would hold that message forth. And Lord, as we do, we pray for endurance. Produce in us hopefulness, tenacity, discipline, and endurance, Father. By the power of the Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. 
Amen.